Hey there, my name is Vosh. I live stream on YouTube and Twitch, and sometimes I even upload the good bits. This is Previously Live. Yo. Yo, what's up? Not much. Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, nice. All right. How's it going, Vosh? I'm doing great. How about you? That's fantastic. I'm doing well. All right. So, um, first of all, thank you for letting me on. Are you on? Yeah, we're we're streaming live right now. Um, are you using push to talk or voice activation? Oh, I can turn off push to talk. No, no, you're fine to use push to talk. Just um, if you're going to do so, hold the button down a little bit longer before you finish your sentence because you're clipping off the last syllable. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It does that. Okay. So what's up? Hit me up. Well. First of all, thank you for letting me on. Uh, this is a big opportunity. I represent a group in Southern California called Learnmarks Orange County. We're the sister group of another group called Learnmarks Los Angeles. And uh, we sense. operate uh, a reading group here, uh, not just in real life, but also on Discord. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, basically what we do is we go through like text from the first international, second international. We read Marx, uh, Engels, Lenin, Bakunin. Uh, Luxembourg, and I just wanted to give, uh, first of all, a chance to, you know, shout out our group to your audience. I mean, you have quite a bit. You cut out. I have quite a. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'll keep it on. You have quite a big audience. Oh, yeah. Well, I try. It's, you know, it's 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 big maybe for like left two, but we're getting up there. Okay. We, we don't have those uh, Steven Crowder numbers yet, but we're going to get there. Yeah, I feel you. Um, So thanks for that. I appreciate it. But, you know, I was in a meeting uh, a while ago, a few months ago, and I met this guy, and he's a bit younger than me, mm -hmm. um, and he said that he's a fan of yours, and I looked up your YouTube channel, and I didn't really find your economic takes, but he told me some interesting things about you that I kind of had some contentions with that I wanted to discuss with you. Uh, yeah, hit it up. Um, there are a couple of videos where I discuss more economically oriented stuff, but I tend not to focus on it that much because I am generally of the opinion that people don't really have that many principled economic positions. They usually have social positions and use economics as a way of trying to attain those positions. Um, so it, it, it seems kind of like a proxy argument. I'd rather argue like the ought rather than the is. Um, but yeah, I, can, I think I can clarify most of my positions here. Hit it up. Yeah, so uh, first of all, what I heard, uh, I heard you're an anarchist, which is, I have arguments against anarchism, but mm -hmm. I don't really mind that. What I really mind is that you said you were a market socialist? Yeah. Okay, so from the Marxist perspective, market socialism would actually be an oxymoron. It would actually be capitalist. No, I'm, well, socialism is comprised of two components, right? Fundamentally. Um, you have the seizure of the means of production and you have the abolition of the commodity form. Um, I use market socialism just blithely as a term to describe one in which you seize the means of production, but don't abolish the commodity form, at least not for everything. Um, but I would make the argument that the social changes associated with the seizure of the means of production are so significant, they cannot possibly be called capitalism, especially when capitalism is broadly defined as the private ownership of the means of production, you know, laissez-faire economy and what have you. Um, so I, I wouldn't consider it like a form of capitalism. Well, yeah, that's a definition that we hear a lot on the internet, but... Uh, I would actually have to argue against that definition because it really encompasses every previous society post the agricultural revolution, like slave society and feudal society. And 
even though they didn't have um, surplus value extraction, they had surplus labor extraction. So really, all so three of these societies had private ownership of the means of production. So are you making the argument that every economy that um, that hasn't abolished the commodity form is capitalism? Like it's been capitalism for all of human history up until now? Well, the commodity form exists before capitalism. What capitalism is, is generalized commodity production, right? So in order to get to a, a mode of production outside of capitalism, you couldn't have generalized commodity production. That's what I'm saying. So what distinguishes, if that is the case, our current system of capitalism from what we would have seen during the feudal era? What fundamentally distinguishes those two systems for you? So a couple things. Number one is the relations of, pro well, actually not the relations, the, the mode of production. And the mode of production to Marx was the physical aspects of it. The means of production back then were mainly agricultural. And now they're ran on uh, factories and, and the working day. Like, and there's three main aspects to capitalism that distinguish it. Generalized commodity production. So back in feudalism, you would have serfs who would work on their plot, and then they would go and work on the Lord's plot. And they would take the the products of the, the serf's labor, uh, the nobles would, and then they would answer to a higher authority. Mm -hmm. So that's number one, generalized commodity production. And then number two is generalized wage labor. So what Marx meant by wage labor is basically the market that's created for the subsistence of the working class. But that wasn't a thing with feudalism because in feudalism, they would spin their own clothes and produce their own food and stuff like that. Yeah. And then the third thing is the third and, and final thing I would argue is really uh, a governance of production according to um, how do I put this? Basically, where it is the most profitable. So rather than, hey, um, you know, our Lord has demanded of us that we produce X amount of clothes or work on the farm X amount of hours, everything, including the means of production, is now a commodity. Everything is a commodity. And that's what really uh, separates feudalism from. But I, I feel like to varying degrees, all three of those characteristics are applicable in both societies. Uh, when I was taught, and I apologize if my definition here is different from yours. But no, that's fine. <laughs> the feudalism was a form of mercantile capitalism. The fundamental distinction between life then, economically, and life today, economically, is that back then, generally speaking, large capital enterprises um, were, um, uh, 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 were associated with the, um, uh, uh, with the will of the monarchy. That there was a... Um, that essentially the broader economic productivity of society, the larger market trends, were those associated with the um, with, with the will of the central authority. Whereas we nowadays have merc or uh, sorry, um, uh, uh, laissez-faire capitalism, where anyone can produce any business for any reason. They're beholden only to the whims of the market. There isn't really a direct association between the um, the, the will of the state and the will of the corporations as so many people are coming to discover here in this country. Um, that was the, the distinguishing characteristic that I was taught. I recognize that maybe these definitions are um, sort of uh, follow from which uh, theory you read. Um, that was the working definition I was given. Um, I don't think it's really that pragmatic to describe a market socialist society as just being another form of capitalism because the fundamental relations between the uh, capital owners and those who must sell their labor has been destroyed. It seems like it, it, like it'd be it's a little bit difficult, I think, to to relay that description when such a fundamental economic change has been brought about, no? Well, yeah, but I have to look at your older tweets, and um, I don't want to get too into the USSR, but you did say that the USSR uh, was 
state capitalist and mm-hmm. they did not have the buying and selling of uh, the means of production. Well, they didn't have the buying and selling of means the means of production. That is entirely true. Um, but they definitely had the, um, the, un, the, I guess, the disproportionate distribution of the means of production to privileged party officials. Um, so I wouldn't say state capitalism has to adhere to all the characteristics of, like, typical laissez-faire capitalism. Well, it's a little bit weird to describe it that way, because Marx does say that in Critique of the Gotha program, that well, basically Marx says that, uh, a proportion of what workers produce will go to the state. Uh, whether or not state individuals received X amount of money is nor here and there. The thing is, is that in previous socialist societies that have existed, there were um, there were no distinctions. There were no um, class distinctions, but there was still generalized commodity production. And essentially what you would get there is a group of like, just imagine like what Richard Wolff talks about. Just imagine like America, but entirely of co-ops. Mm-hmm. In that scenario, what would happen is all of the co-ops would still be in competition for for profit. Yeah, of course. It's still a market economy, but it's socialist. It's socialist because fundamentally the workers own the means of production. I think that's a wonderful thing, no? Many of the problems we have in our society today are formed from the fundamental distinction between the power and influence of those who own capital and those who must sell their labor. If you abolish that distinction, you bring about an entirely new type of society. It's not a perfect one. We're not done working from that point, but I think it is a substantial step forward, and because it fundamentally challenges the base political nature of capitalism as we know it today, I would consider it a very fundamentally different society. I mean, I doubt we could ever achieve such a thing without revolutionary activity anyway, so it's hardly some tiny incremental change, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's like the exact same thing as like bourgeois liberal democracy, but how that would really turn out is if you had a bunch of co-ops just competing against each other, they would have to intensify their labor and they would have to basically pay themselves less and seize that money uh, capital would essentially seize that money, and so Wait, what, what you would capital? have is, well, you know that you can have capitalism without without capitalists, right? Well, I would make the argument that you could not, because I would call market socialism a form of socialism. But w- w- you you say that co-ops will exploit themselves to participate in the market. But from the evidence that I've seen at this time, uh, worker co-ops tend to have significantly higher standards of living and proportionally higher wages than traditionally owned firms, in addition to their democratic mode. So we're still operating on a pretty substantial, you know, upgrade. Uh, This may even become the case more in a society that doesn't necessarily discriminate against worker co-ops as we do today with preferential loans handed out by banks, you know, maybe things will get even better. Well, yeah, I mean, like, um, well, yeah, I mean, to compare a co-op to, like, just, like, Walmart, which absolutely tries everything it can to exploit its workers by uh, incrementing as much surplus value as possible, I think worker co-ops would be a better alternative, but I don't think they should be the final alternative, because in a cooperative, um, in a a society of competition based on worker cooperatives, what they're going to do is essentially pay themselves less in order to undercut other firms by having more capital. 
I don't know if that's borne out in the data. Um, uh, in fact, um, yeah, I, I don't know if that's borne out. I've seen data suggesting that worker cooperatives will usually have, like employees will willingly cut their pay rather than lose like workers. Um, like they'll cut their pay so they can keep more people on payroll. But I haven't seen any evidence that they'll like push themselves down to lower and lower dredges of exploitation um, so that they can um, so that they can continue to compete. Um, it is, after all, entirely possible, as has ma been made evident by I mean, like, here's an example. Um, corporations, even cutthroat corporations, pay their CEOs exorbitant amounts of money. Now, that's not money that's going towards the capital interests of the company. That's just going to the person who runs the company. But in worker co-ops, everyone runs the company. So we already have evidence of obscene generosity being diverted from the capital ownership of the firm towards those who work at the firm. The only difference is it's going only to the CEO as opposed to going to everyone who works there. So I feel like there's already a fair amount of evidence indicating that not only are firms willing to pull money away from capital to reward themselves, but um, that they um, have done so without it undercutting their ability to compete in the market. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, just going back and saying again, like, just completely disregarding, uh, well, actually, work co-ops wouldn't really be able to uh, compete with capitalist firms as efficiently. Well, they do. I think them. we see that today. No, they do at the moment. Um, right now, it seems like they're more resistant to price shocks. Um, they tend to treat their employees better. Um, and there are even some instances where they tend to outperform. In fact, I remember reading, now there could be... Um, uh, uh, conflating statistics here, like shadow variables, um, but it seems like a significant higher, like a significantly higher percentage of worker co-ops survive that critical first five-year period than uh, traditionally owned firms. Um, now that could, of course, be because like maybe there's a higher inherent level of stability involved if you're willing to take the plunge into making a co-op. I'm not sure, but it's a very statistically significant difference. Now there is evidence to suggest that worker co-ops don't do quite as well on massive like multinational corporate. Scales, but I think one could make a decent argument that this has more to do with um, uh, uh, our current society's inability to properly manage the construction of such an enterprise than an inherent inability to develop such a thing. You'd have to have like a very like multi-tiered system of hierarchy uh, within the worker co-op that would still have to have some kind of democratic representation. It'd be really tough to do, I admit, but I think it's worth it for, you know, keeping 100,000 or more people from being exploited. Yeah, worker co-ops are definitely a better alternative than, you know, just a regular corporation. Mm -hmm. But I feel like logically, if you were to take two firms and then each produce, let's say, $20 of value in one day, and then each, let's say, they, they used um, $10 of, uh, to pay back capital, pay back wages, one of these firms is going to have to undercut themselves essentially to absorb the capital of the other firm. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a problem with markets, right? Like, markets are still pretty imperfect. But there are a lot of imperfections with centrally planned economies as well. Um, there are many issues with, like, market economies that I'm willing to, like, acknowledge and take a look at. But one thing that bothers me is that people who advocate for, like, centrally planned economies completely ignore the massive historical problems that we have had with said economies. Um, which which really bugs me. Uh, I think I'm an anarcho-syndicalist long-term. I do believe there are ways that markets can serve the public good. Uh, I want most things decommodified. Maybe luxury goods could stay a market issue. But um, yeah, I, I do believe that pretty firmly. I agree there are problems with markets, though. Yeah. Um, 
I think historically, actually, uh, the historical examples, you know, we can look at, I'm sure you're familiar with Project uh, Cybersyn in Chile. I've, uh, I've heard rumors, but I'm, if, uh, if you could fill me in, I would appreciate that. Yeah, so... <clears throat> Sorry, I'm having a cigarette. So, no worries. Stay in strong. Chile, um, <laughs> in Chile, basically, there was a giant uh, workers' uh, trucker strike. And uh, I have a citation here. Even though 10 to 30% of trucks were in operation, Chile was still able to deliver 50 to 70% of the normal supply and delivered 95% of the normally delivered raw materials to key sectors of the economy. So what sense. they did, what they did is they said, okay, rather than let the market dictate where resources will go, let's rationally plan the economy so that we can get raw materials. And that's kind of what, that's what the Soviet Union did as well, is they said, well, should we have uh, the market be, you know, determining our entire society? Well, no, because the market would just move towards consumer goods instead of industry, because that's what's most profitable. So the issue I have with that, though, is the only reason your aforementioned example with Chile works is because um, there were previous market forces that were able to help the government determine the proper allocation of resources. So the issue isn't like, can the state centrally plan the distribution of this, this and this to that, that and that? That's easy. You just have to have the roads, the trucks and the drivers. Um, but it's it's constantly responding to an ever shifting set of conditions uh, as to what the people are interested in, what they need at any given time. That's something that centrally planned economies struggle with. It seems like that instance you gave me was that one in which they had to only temporarily take over a um, uh, an otherwise like market planned route. Uh, and I can understand how they would be able to do that. But there were shortages and central planning problems all the time in, in, in economies that like attempted central planning. Uh, and in all these economies, from Vietnam to the USSR, black markets develop for people to try to compensate for the deficiencies in those markets by buying and selling stuff, often illegally, um, to, you know, or bartering usually, to, to, to try and fill in those gaps, you know, which seems to me like a pretty huge market failure or uh, centrally planning failure <laughs> yeah yeah i would agree about the black market the black market issue is going to be huge but uh, just to clarify here the ussr actually did have a market economy before um stalin introduced uh five-year plans it was actually through the ne new economic policy which was like an attempted uh, uh bourgeois revolution so what they did is they figured out that uh i believe it was something like 70 percent of all grain was produced by uh, private kulaks and Heavy industry essentially was nationalized and centralized from that privatization after recollectivization. And they already had that. So, you know, it's the same thing with Chile. Like, they already had a market basis to go on. And I don't really see how that would really be an issue. I mean, no matter what, a centrally planned economy is going to come out of a market system. But they weren't relying on a market system. They were relying on um, teleprompters to essentially calculate you know, what would need to be produced and where it would go. Yeah, I mean, I would need to familiarize myself more with those specific examples before I could think up of counter-arguments. My main issue is it just seems like if we're talking about very basic goods, like uh, food, healthcare, water, all that stuff, um, 
it, it seems like these are very easy things for the state to plan out. And I support the decommodification of these industries. Though as an anarchist, I don't exactly support the state. Marx was himself not a statist. Um, so it would be preferable, of course, for some other democratic institution to supplant the state in this role. But if we're talking about housing or food, then yeah, I'm totally fine with that being brought all about. Um, but when it comes to um, like luxury goods or more advanced stuff, it seems like market forces are the only ones that are meaningfully capable of meeting human needs. Unless you want to do some like really like, I don't know, like paleo Marxist, almost like and prim, like people only need this, this and this, you know, like we don't need these luxuries to survive kind of stuff. But that always kind of like, I've heard a lot of communists argue that, you know, like, why do you need all the luxury goods the market can afford you? Human like uh, uh, well-being comes from other things. You know, you don't need this, you don't need that really weird way to go like is this the better economic system like one where we have to forgo luxury goods in favor of like a more stark uh um consumptive practices i feel like there are ways to balance these two things well yeah i would actually say that um well in order to even make luxury goods you have to have a division of labor and in order to get that you have to have basic necessities met so having it would be most logical to have the absolute necessities met, first of all, um, which is like what, you know, the Soviet Union did, like post-World War II, there was no housing, so they built, you know, what people call commie blocks, which were the huge giant apartments uh, all over the Eastern Bloc. Yeah, but those were um, not great. Those yeah, were... no, they weren't great, yeah. but <laughs> it's better than living on the street and being a prostitute during Yeltsin. But, um... What was I going to say? What point did I you just I don't know if up? the majority of the population was living on the street being prostitutes under Zeltsin. I don't have, like, the hard statistics in hand, but I feel oh, like... Oh, yeah, the, the number of suicides um, just absolutely skyrocketed. And Russia was completely pillaged. You had all kinds of petrol companies and uh, all kinds of uh, heavy industry capitalists basically going into Russia and just completely dismantling Russia. And, you know, we had um, the U.S. basically, uh, what's the word, rigging an election uh, in order to ensure that the Communist Party couldn't get reelected. And we had stuff like that, you know, happen. I would need to familiarize myself. Does it... Is it a little bit weird, do you think, that all of the former officials of the Communist Party um, ended up becoming like capitalist oligarchs the nanosecond they had the ability to? Uh, I actually wouldn't call them capitalists according to the Marxist definition. And there's something worse than capitalist. They they wield it, they leverage state power to seize control of huge amounts of infrastructure, and they're now like these oligarchical billionaires that rule over the um the, the, the wasteland of Russia like like aristocrats. Um, like Putin was former KGB, right? One of the things that bugs me is when I'm looking like, why do I want capitalism gone? Like, I want to fundamentally abolish these hierarchical relationships between the people and the people who rule. And then, like, we get the USSR, and it seems like we didn't do anything. Like, we swapped, we swapped a bunch of meaningless pieces around, you know? We, 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 you know, painted everything red, and we got our gray Soviet, you know, housing blocks, and the state took control of this and that, and... But then at the end of the day, like, the moment the lights came back on, like, everybody, like, shuffled around at their chairs, and bingo, we've got, like, even war... We've got a situation that is slightly less oligarchical than the fucking Tsar, um, uh, uh, prior... And it makes me think, like, we never, like, there was not, there was never really any infrastructure for equality that was built. It was, like, a really flawed and failed attempt to supplant a 
previous hierarchy with a new, almost more sinister hierarchy. I mean, fuck, at least in the U.S. we can vote, right? I mean, only party officials could vote in, uh, in, in Soviet Russia. And even then, they had to make the ballots, like, closed door because people were afraid of reprisal. If they well, most of the, the party wishes. members in the USSR were actually manual laborers. Yeah, but it was still 10% of the population, and you're still maintaining a class distinction there. No, I wouldn't say that, because in order to have a class distinction, you have to purchase means of production, you have to purchase labor power. No, class, which... in, a, class in a sociological sense. Like, there's still a fundamental okay. distinction. Yeah, yeah, there's still a fundamental distinction between you know, the, the, the political power and prestige of a party official and of a common worker, even if they work at the same plant. I mean, there are stories of people like they'd be afraid to express political dissidents like next to people who they thought might be party officials because they knew that they would get credits that they would turn them in and children would turn in like parents to the state and like the state would crack down on black markets even when they were just trying to get like razor blades to the population so the men could shave like there was a lot of really like horrible stuff going on in the ussr that was like unironically worse than america like america is not my favorite country but i don't know like how much does it say about our socialist project when when like here's our best effort and like the ussr is more tyrannical and less efficient than ours well, I think that's a very libertarian argument to make is to try to um I do like freedom. Uh, compare the USSR <laughs> is to try to we can get to anarchism uh in a bit when you want but uh trying to compare the US to the USSR is very very difficult because obviously the USSR went from uh, horse carriages and Rasputin to you know, um, having the second highest GDP per capita which doesn't always translate to health, uh, to health and happiness but they did things in their constitution that are absolutely revolutionary that I can't imagine America ever doing, like guaranteeing housing, guaranteeing health care. Pragmatically speaking, just living in a, a Soviet country, I mean, I can't even, you know, I'm 25 next year, or I guess after next year when I'm 27, my health insurance is going to run out for my parents. And, you know, I mean... <laughs> I guess, but that's just my issue, though. Like, they guaranteed health care, but their health care was still worse than America's on average per capita. Um, they also lied about a fuck ton of statistics concerning their healthcare shit um, because, like, they knew it would make them look bad if they revealed that they had, like, entire cities that were relying off, like, one ventilator or, like, ten hospital beds per thousand people. Um, they guaranteed housing to everyone, but there was, uh, I mean, they did, they, uh, I don't actually know that much about the homelessness rates in the USSR. I would be very willing to accept the idea that the US had it worse in that respect. But a lot of the housing that they did have was woefully insubstantial and under-maintained. That's like the issue I have. These are like these very tepid, like kind of meaningless gestures at equality. But then like you look up and you're still being ruled over by an authoritarian leader. Um, you, you, you know, you, you still can't like express political dissident without being 1984 or anything. Um, that stuff like really bugs me. I do take a libertarian approach to this. To me, the ultimate goal is the well-being and freedom of the individual. And I think the best way to achieve that is through a socialist or down the line, maybe anarchist society. Um, I don't know if that's what the USSR, the USSR like did or 
have or anything. I do respect the achievements in industrialization they engaged in, though, but every country had a giant industrial boom, and Russia is the biggest country on Earth. It makes sense that they would have benefited from that massively, whether they were capitalist or socialist. In fact, it was Marx who said that capitalism was a necessary transitional period on the way to socialism because um, capitalism best facilitates the material developments that allow for the, you know, the, the growth of a socialist society. But Russia didn't do that. They went straight from feudalism to socialism. So it seems like, again, I'm not saying they didn't do like good things ever. It just seems like there were a lot of like really shitty underlying problems that can't really be explained away by American imperialism or they started off as a feudal country, you know? Yeah, um, two things. Um, I mentioned the, uh, regardless of how they did, I mentioned the attempt for them and I've talked about the U.S., and I, I think you would agree that even an attempt to have these things that human beings need, like food and clothing, is far substantially better than, you know, a landlord kicking you out and leaving you homeless and without clothes. And the second thing is, oh, fuck, what did you just say, dude? What was the last thing you just said? Um, the very last thing I said. Um, yeah, I, don't, I don't have a great memory. Um, yeah, welcome to my world. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I just, I think, I think I said like fundamentally, like the 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 industrialization of of the Soviet Union seems like it would have happened anyway. So, oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Um, so you said that they went from feudalism to uh, socialism. Well, they didn't really. They had war communism, which Trotsky actually supported, but uh, and Lenin was against. But they went from war communism, and they actually went into the new economic policy, which was that. That was that capitalist stage, but the reason why that Marx, uh, that Marx saying that we have to go to capitalism to um, socialism today—well, obviously, I think you would agree today that's irrelevant because at the time there was only three real major superpowers of capitalism, and that was the U.S., Germany, and and the U.K. Right. So, I feel like we've already gone past those stages of like Mao's new democracy or uh, Lenin's um, new economic policy. And we're at a point now where we, we've had markets forever. And look at, you know, I don't want to be cliche, but like, just look at coronavirus. Like the state is, the state should step in like it, like it does in times of war, like in the state, the war, the, the war state does not need consumer goods. It needs tanks and planes and, and all of these. And that's why uh, states will centralize their economy during wartime because it's more efficient to what, you know, it needs. I'm not opposed to the centralization of, of, of the state and the economy at certain times of national emergency. And I have actively argued in favor of the state taking a greater role in like COVID-19 preparedness. I don't disagree with that at all. I don't know what military preparedness has to do with this. I think the U.S. were probably pretty good on, on military armaments at the moment. Um, but yeah, like you, I, I feel like you kind of sidestepped that a little bit, though, because like war communism failed. Like... Lenin literally, like Lenin literally hit like the shutoff switch because it didn't work. Um, they, I mean, they. Well, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, like fundamentally, I'm just saying, like a lot of the problems that the Soviet Union had can't be explained away by industrialization because every other country was industrializing at the time. I don't think that like now did they do a phenomenal job quickly industrializing? Sure. So did the United States of America. So did Great Britain. So did Germany. Um, it seems like industrialization was just a thing that was going to happen no matter what, and any sufficiently populous country with a sufficient political will could have probably mobilized their population to a comparable degree. And there were great losses all across the world um, uh, uh, um, 
with respect to industrialization. I mean, the USSR, obviously, plenty of people died during the five-year plans, but holy shit, in the US, in the fucking tenements that we set up outside the factories, a lot of fucking people died too. Um, so the only point that I'm getting across here is that there seems like there are a lot of parallels here that, um, that, that don't meaningfully address the underlying problem that, for all of its talk and pretense, the Soviet Union never really meaningfully did anything that it claimed to do. And to your earlier example, I would much rather live in a society where healthcare isn't a guaranteed right, but people still generally have better healthcare than a society where it is a guaranteed right, but there's woefully insubstantial medical coverage because the society isn't wealthy enough to actually cover the needs of the people. I prefer the outcome to the intention any day of the week. Um, and um, now this isn't meant to be like me railing against socialism or anything. It's not. But the USSR was never socialist, and nor was Mao's China. I mean, none of these countries ever even came close to a truly democratized, like, workplace. Uh, so, like, I think it's easy to abolish the commodity form, um, especially if you're willing to throw a lot of power in the hands of a state. But to me, like, the most important precept here is democracy. It's, it's, it's about freedom. It's about well-being. And I just don't know how this, um, this, this, this reification of those societies serves us in that goal. Well, I think pragmatically, the USSR was a lot better than Tsarist Russia. I mean, Lenin wrote various books on women's struggles. Ethnic groups and minorities, such as the Jews, actually had rights, uh, voting rights. Until um, Stalin came along. Well, well, well. <laughs> no, no, that's... It's a, a bit of a complicated history. I no, mean, that's a pretty to, big yeah. failing if you can't prevent literal totalitarians from seizing your government. That hasn't happened in the U.S. yet. We've had some really bad presidents, but nothing even close to Stalin. Um, that's a pretty severe failing of the internal political workings of the Soviet Union. Well... Hold on. Before we go into the political workings, I want to talk about the base for a minute. All right, let's get dialectical here. So, you you say that socialism, or you say that the USSR was state capitalist, but you know the three things that I mentioned earlier that you know you can get directly from from Marx himself in Capital Volume One. You know, generalized commodity production. There was no generalized commodity production. There was no wage labor. Um, and it, there was no profiteering. It was according to a plan. Well, that's so, not, wait, that's not true. There wasn't wage labor because there wasn't money, but surplus value was still extracted from all the workers who had no control whatsoever in the production or the nature of their, you know, of, of, of their work. Um, it was still like authoritarian leaders who owned, albeit indirectly through party control, factories where people who were not paid or, you know, compensated for the full value of their labor worked tirelessly um they went even a step farther because in the soviet union sometimes they would move people like they would move people to a new district to work again we don't do that over here you can move to a new city if you want to but you, the state can't force you to move over to albuquerque so you can keep well, working as a satellite engineer well marx actually never said that workers would receive what they fully produced uh, that was actually a critique he made of of LaSalle, Ferdinand LaSalle. And, um, I'm not saying, just to clarify, I mean, I'm not saying fully. Okay. I'm just saying that they got, yeah. like, nothing from it. Incredibly industrious and productive Soviet workers went back to their shit apartments, their tiny little tenements, with the scantest bit of, like, luxury goods that they had, like, available to them. Well, then again, I would have to, you know, attribute most of that to the absolute raising that happened during World War II, but... Economically speaking, right, there was no buying and selling of, of the means of production and there was no 
and you also said something about surplus value, but it's hard to think about surplus value because what, what Marx uh, theorized value to, to be, and I don't want to get too technical here, but Marx essentially imagined that you have to have generalized commodity production in order to have that passing from private to social labor. In other words, you have to have generalized commodity production to have, you can have surplus extraction, but you, you wouldn't have surplus value because they weren't working to increase their exchange value. You know what I mean? Yeah, but do you see how this is you like kind of wiggling around like 150 year old terms to explain away the fact that the Soviet Union preserved the same basic class distinctions as the United States, except worse? That's my main issue. Well, well, like we can talk about like, well, there was no buying and selling of the commodity and like the the the, the means yeah, of production. Yeah, that's never... a key part of capitalism. Yeah, but it, but it does. But power. it's utterly irrelevant to the actual livelihood and well-being of the millions of people who were in the Soviet Union. Like nobody, nobody would go like, man, this sucks. I hate the fact that th this is like being owned by a capital owner. I'm beholden to a party official who controls my workplace and demands of me a certain level of output. And I get nowhere near the total level of productivity that I produce in this factory. And then someone else taps him on the shoulder and he's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. There's no generalized commodity production and the means of production are bought and sold. So this is totally different, even though like it doesn't actually affect their livelihood at all you know like well, their that... livelihood was was generally increased i mean especially considering you know if you want to get a little bit historically materialist here especially considering czarist russia where the government would just pull up to your house and point a gun at you and demand um your surplus labor they literally uh, did that in stalinist russia like to more people too and also i'm not saying that the soviet so union are was... you against taxes wait wait Okay, okay. Wait, hold on. I just want to say, I'm not saying the Soviet Union is worse than Tsarist Russia. I'm saying I don't think the Soviet Union did any better for its people than a capitalist like nation would have done. If the Soviet if the Soviet Union had a Russian revolution that was all populist and then they had the it was like the American Revolution, I feel like it would have kind of developed in a similar way. You still would have had the industrial boom, you know, you still would have had the horrible exploitation of the workers that have taken place you know, in USSR and America, it seems like it would have been basically very similar, which makes me think the approach that hardline Marxists take towards the liberation of the proletariat are misguided because they aren't really solving any problems. They're just introducing like a new, similar, but not completely identical set of, you know, material conditions. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Well, if you want to, like, if you want to just translate those 19th century terms into today um you know stuff like full employment you wouldn't be fired or given a pink slip because uh you know a company has decided to decrease their workforce and increase automation but you could that be sent to siberia if you criticized your boss though well well if you criticize your boss well hold on yeah your boss talking, is a party so official do you, agree, do you agree you're talking about you're talking about political and social uh, socio societal issues. Would you agree economically that there were no capitalists? I don't. I mean, no, because nobody privately owned any means of production. It was all facilitated through the party. But I would consider that a difference without a distinction, or a distinction without a difference. Like, oh, we're not capitalists. We don't own it. We're just incredibly powerful party officials who own everything within our massive country through the apparatus of like central leadership. Like, 
basically you get the same problem. They're not capitalists, but they're state capitalists um, because their ownership of the means of production is facilitated through the apparatus of state power. That's why I use that term. It's not like capitalism exactly, but it preserves the same material relations. Well, I wouldn't actually call it capitalism by definition at all. Yeah, state capitalism. Because, well, well, state capitalism can exist, but state capitalism, you know, going back to, you know, I'm just trying to stick to this definition here, going back to, you know, the buying and selling of labor power and means of production, I just, I, ju I just want to say, I don't disagree with those definitions. I okay. completely concede. I haven't read Capital. Um, I haven't read the first international. I recognize that I am, when it comes to a strict understanding of theory, probably lacking in a great many ways. But my, for my first and foremost concern fundamentally is the well-being of people and it's just it's weird to me like i feel like by any empirical sociological metric or any political science metric you could find the soviet union was fucking horrible like it was a horrible horrible state and i think one of the reasons for that is the way in which they try to challenge the systems of production within capitalism didn't meaningfully change the power relations between the average person and the people in charge so like what good is it if it doesn't bring about better outcomes it seems okay. to me like we're just like looking for a different coat of paint you know so that kind of gets into the whole anarchism discussion because i think you would agree that no matter what there has to be some kind of distinction of power what do you mean well there has to be some kind of distinction between administrators and uh regular people would you um i mean i admit i'm not as well read as on anarcho-syndicalism as i am the metrics of market socialism but i believe that at least my subscription here would be that um a good way of running society would basically just be to have these giant super unions that are democratically controlled by the people who work within the, the, the firms that are associated with those super unions, and that a collective council of those super unions elected officials would be kind of like the highest uh, governmental authority in, in the world. Um, I, while I do not see the need for a state, um, there, of course, like there, there must be some hierarchies, of course, like you need someone like to be in charge of make su making sure the water lines are going from here to there or making sure that the, you know, this street is being cleaned up. Like, the, yeah, of course there, there has to be that. We have to preserve those relations. Well, it's fun to say that because there were actually a significant amount of, of co-ops in the USSR that had, uh, constitutional rights to their property. Um, that's interesting. I'm not familiar with that. I'd have to look into it before I could meaningfully. Oh yeah. That. Yeah. Um, when recollectivization happened, that was a, you know, that was also a big deal in, in China. What Mao was trying to do is make a bunch of little co-ops or, uh, communes mm -hmm. and then basically synthesize them all into one big commune. Yeah. You weren't aware that. But is there, um, wait, was there ultimate state control over that commune? No, by well, just going off the constitution, they weren't constitutionally allowed to seize their property. No, was this they something had to pay that taxes? But well, no. well, sure, yeah. Is this something that had? To, is this something that happened for a very short length of time before inevitably it got consolidated into state power, or was there was there actually like a long-standing and successful implementation of worker cooperatives that were divorced from the authority of the state, as they would be here in the United States, where the state has no direct control over any economic measure? Yeah, it was in multiple constitutions. But did it actually happen after the NAP? Yeah, yeah, it did. Okay, I would have to, I would have to um, look up that. I'd have to look more into that before I could meaningfully um, address that. Because the the impression that I had had is that there were some short term experiments that were tried, but after they were tried, they were kind of obliterated. 
um, because the state is an all-consuming monster that just wants to control all the means of production within it, you know? Yeah, and that's something that I have a problem. Do you agree with the anarchist definition of the state, that the state is a, a monopoly of violence? I think that's one of the things it is, yeah. I, there's probably, I mean, the definition varies, I guess, in who you ask, but that's definitely one of the key distinctions, right? Yeah, I do think to some extent there is a monopoly of violence, but the problem I have is a lot of people oppose, a lot of anarchists specifically oppose Marxist definition of the state and go with that one, but it's really, really unscientific. It's really immaterial because uh, a feudal state, actually what happened back in the day is feudal states were fighting with capitalist states and uh, Marx talks about, well, I don't want to like, you know, like, I don't want to seem like an asshole or pretentious or whatever, but Marx did say that like, uh, feudal states would fight with capitalist states because both of these states inherently had different distributions of surplus. Yeah, they were well, antagonistic. The way I learned, and I don't know if this is a specifically anarchist or Marxist definition, but when I was in political science classes, I was told, I was taught that states as we understand them did not exist until around the 18th century. That the modern political conceptualization of a state with a single central government that has a, a discrete borders around, uh, you know, around its edges, that where all the power can be deferred to a single fundamental legal entity, whether that be a constitution or a king or a god or whatever. Ever, um, and a and a monopoly on violence that that is a very distinctly modernist invention and that prior to that like kingdoms or empires weren't really states in the in the sense that we understand them to be today because like feudal societies would greatly decentralize the monopoly over violence uh, kings would decentralize it to their um, to their uh, the, the the aristocracy and the aristocracy would usually allow private armies to be raised and controlled by very wealthy landowners or merchants and that if a war was ever to be made like noblemen would be expected to bring their armies together to the king who maintained in relation a very small standing army um, compared to that of like their his collective lieges so like so that that was what i was taught when it comes to the modern conceptualization of a nation state yeah well then again like it's all about definitions and definitions can like words can describe anything i'm sure you and i agree but i would mm -hmm. say that feudalism had a state it's just the the personification like of the state was in the landlords and then the landlords would answer to the higher power which was the monarchy and that would actually fit into the marxist definition as well as well as the anarchist but i take issue with the anarchist definition yeah I, I don't care too much about the definition at the end of the day and i don't mean this to be disrespectful towards you because theory no, is very fine. important <laughs> and I, I respect people who read theory um i think people who get too hung up on theory or people who get too hung up on definitions sometimes are acting counterproductively to the broader interests of socialists um when the socialist revolution happens if it happens it will not be led i hope by people like yourself and me um it will be led by some fucking former oil rig technician like dumb fucks who just want to like secure a good living for them themselves um that ultimately the material history of the world is driven by the interests of the working class and not people who are hyper fixated on like familiarizing myself or themselves with the the nuances of prior definitions i care about some really basic stuff i care about um i care about healthcare. i care about housing i care about democratization of the workplace and eventually the abolition of borders in the state but i don't think you need that strong a theoretical grounding to understand why those things are good maybe a strong theoretical grounding to understand how to best achieve those things or how to best interpret the relation of that state of society to another. But on a fundamental level, I think these are very desirable goals that we can all work towards. I would like to believe all my leftist comrades, even if I disagree with them on 
superficial things, um, are uh, united in their love of freedom, um, of individual rights, of, of, of democracy, and of democratization of both our political systems and our workplace, you know? Yeah, I agree. And, and those kind of liberal values are definitely a part of leftism. Um, I wouldn't contradict you on that. Um, I just really think, I just really believe in the Vanguard Party. And that's why I read so much. And that's why I, I study so much because, you know, I look back, I don't want to say this like over and over again, but Marx does talk historically about um, in the 18th Premier of Louis Bonaparte, how peasants can't lead themselves in a revolution. Like they, they can't because they're peasants. Like they're ultimately um, submissive to the Lord. They, they just, they, they don't have any alternative because they don't know the history and they don't know how to use the history dialectically in order to determine what they should do. Do you feel like that framing might basically end up reinforcing the same classist distinction that we have in a capitalist society in whatever post-capitalist society we would fight for? Because that contempt of the common folk is kind of what led to a bunch of vanguard parties turning into elitist, hyper-exclusionary political oligarchies. The idea that only they have the intelligence and will to power to lead the stupid proles like sheep along to their salvation. Um, I mean, the world has changed quite a bit over the past 150 years, and um, I'd like to think the average person is more educated, but I would contest that that description even back then. I mean, God help me, you know, like look at the Black Army back during the Soviet Union, you know, look at some of the anarchist projects prior to the um, 20th century. There are plenty of instances of highly mobilized, highly willful socialist leaders that were mobilized not from some elite core group of upper middle class merchants and academics, but rather from the working people fighting collectively to secure power for their own. Um, well, in terms of the Black Army, I definitely wouldn't want to cite the Black Army because the Black... I'm not sure if you're aware, but the Black Army actually had peasant chain gangs. And, you know, another example is like the CNTFIA, which yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not well, sure if you're I'm not aware, saying the Black Army was perfect. Was I'm just saying it's an example of a highly okay. dedicated, militarized, willful socialist group um, that wanted to seize, you know, power or, you know, move the population in a given direction and it did it without um without any um you know without any like super highly educated like you know uh, uh uh labor aristocracy academic intellectual types telling them what to do well ultimately i am a bit of a technocrat because i don't really believe that the average worker will be able to predict what is the best for them i mean all we have to do is look at the lump in the yeah, united states yeah no see this is the problem i have you're an authoritarian you don't believe the average person is intelligent enough to meaningfully like dictate or guide the society that they live in that's the problem that I keep running well, into. Well, are you for direct democracy? Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. The reason people are stupid isn't because they're like that fundamentally. They're stupid because we live in a highly ideolog or sorry, a, a, a society of ideology where they're taught things that are contrary to their class interests. But we can fix that. It's just like... Like, well, that you, seems authoritarian to me. Well, no, <laughs> just by making the education system more respective of actual reality. Like, that's... I think not. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. I don't, I don't mean, I'm not like saying genetically, like an oil worker could never get out of lump and brawl status, but 
until like you know that's why you need a vanguard like the who is going to actually go out you're and educate an, people on socialism it's not going to be the capitalists it's going you're to be making the an anti-democratic argument though i'm okay with certain elements of a vanguard party you know imagine if the revolution was tomorrow maybe we could work with comrade aoc or senator bernie sanders Beautiful. and they can oh you say you but they're doing more right now to advance the material <laughs> interest of the common person than you and i ever could in a thousand lifetimes so i'll you know i'll withhold my disdain but yeah like say like they're you know what if a vanguard party is a democratically elected group of politicians beholden to the interests of a populist left and then when revolutionary activity takes place we can sort of work with them to integrate the the, the, the revolutionary guard into the means of production into the broader state apparatus. But that doesn't necessarily entail any contempt for the intelligence of the average worker the way you've kind of demonstrated. You, well, you, I think I, right now you asked me is. if I wanted direct democracy, but like kind of disdainfully. Do you have an issue with direct democracy? Well, yeah, I do. I'm more, I'm more into representative democracy. I feel like most leftists would argue that representative democracy is a bad meme. A bad meme. Yeah, right. Because you're preserving power hierarchies and relations that. Could well, I'm be not against something. hierarchy. This is the I'm problem I keep running into. I want to do left unity, but I feel like, I feel like you're less interested in the liberation of the working people and more interested in like a state coded red, where you and other academics like are the ones who are deciding what the stupid proletariat have to do next. So, do you think that an average worker is at the same capacity to? govern a country as someone who has an education in economics, for example. Well, I don't think that direct democracy necessarily entails an abandonment of expertise. Um, I think it's very possible to have systems of democracy that incorporate expertise while also, you know, working within the will of the people. I'm not anti-expertise well, at all, but like you're not advocating for expertise. You're well, advocating for at some for point, authority. those people with expertise are going to have to wield some kind of power. Sure, but I'm not saying we don't need any power whatsoever. And I'm also in favor of a transitionary state. Like that's what market socialism is, right? So no. it would be like well, a actually, gradual process of bringing us towards a more radical long-term solution. Um, I, w I don't know if I would like, Technically, yes. Um, market socialism is a transition, but I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't call it socialism. I wouldn't call it what Marx called it. Yeah, I mean that's I, by fine. The, by those categories, we can work with. We can work with like fundamental, like you know, language differences. That's totally fine with me. I don't want to argue semantics. Yeah, really quick though. But yeah. Do you follow? Do you follow the anarchist definition of the abolition of all unjust hierarchies? I mean, I think that's the philosophy of anarchism, right? It really depends on, um, it really depends on um, uh, how unjust those hierarchies, right? Uh, like you'd have to make an argument for the legitimacy of each hierarchy, if at all possible. But yeah, I would, I would agree. Like we want to get rid of as many as possible. Yeah, it's just the problem is, is when you say unjust, that inherently becomes an ar argument of subjectivity because yeah, that's well, from yeah, your perspective. So yeah. that is authoritarian. That is not what authoritarianism means.
Well, if you well, you can define any word to mean what you want, but what I meant no, by you authoritarian can't, well, you is can't normally you, you can, but in that specific case, you can't define that word to mean that thing. That would be well, that would be like that would be word. that would be like saying like I'm anti-racist, and then you would say, um, okay, exactly how much racism should we get rid of? What is what is racist? What isn't? How do we decide? And I say, well, I'm not entirely sure. We'd have to look at it case by case. You know, there's a lot of nuance there. And then you would say, heh. That, that's authoritarian, buddy. No, it's not. We all have different perspectives on what's right and wrong. I think that people who are anarchists will generally agree there are some things that we can all believe to be unjust hierarchies. Um, and even if we disagree on those things, I would rather live in a society where people are having principled disagreements over which hierarchies are ethical and which are unethical than live in a society where people are unironically arguing about opening up during a quarantine so that the red line can go up or arguing about opening, like like a, implementing a society which claims to be revolutionary for the workers' interest but fundamentally preserves the same power relations that you experience in a, in a, social, in like in a capitalist society. Um, like, I, I would rather have those arguments with anarchists you know well i mean you are aware that there's never been a society that have ha, hasn't had that uh power relation like i would say had a power relation but it didn't have a class relation um i mean there have been small experiments that have um i think done well to extol anarchist values uh your society has never succeeded uh, every single society that you have ever advocated well, it depends on how you define success it definitely does but every society that has ever been brought about by your basic political principles has turned into an authoritarian state every single well, i could time. say the same for anarchism actually if that is the case, it is because the anarchist state failed and was taken over by a more powerful neighbor, not because the in, the society itself no. was an authoritarian society. No, the CNT self um, emplaced labor camps onto themselves, concentration camps, as well, well as a bureaucratic government. This was before the CNT actually fell. I'm I'm not uh, familiar with that specific example, but if they had gulags, then I would ab and then I would absolutely, um, like denounce that. Yeah. So, I mean, CNTFIA, which is something that I see a lot of ANCOMs absolutely fanboy, like is essentially as like, I read a book called workers against work and uh, the author is a bit questionable, but he basically goes through and he compares the gulag system to the CNTFIA system of, of, worker concentration camps and i would i would i would need to look i would need to look more into this because like based off this convo so far i have a feeling that if i read more into this i would have a rebuttal that i could use here um but like we yeah, don't we don't have yeah. to look at relatively narrow examples the soviet union was a totalitarian state that turned into an oligarchy after like the the wall fell um the mao's china was an authoritarian state that is now a hyper authoritarian capitalist dystopia um like like every like major project that that has that like ml's have like gotten their hands on with the possible exception of cuba i am very permissive of cuba for a wide variety of reasons like very very consistent like pop problems that arise concerning authoritarianism um uh, uh yeah so i am um, like I i'm just i'm extremely skeptical i would like why don't why don't what we do first like this is the thing that we why don't we why don't we focus on this first first we ensure a worker's democracy um uh, uh, so that the, we, the proletariat in this country, have a meaningful control over the systems of power within it, and then we can see whether or not we can start to take harder steps towards decentralization or towards like decommodification stuff. You know? Yeah, I would agree with that, but ultimately, you're going to have to have some, you know, some kind of apparatus that moves towards. And and then again, that that brings into the. The whole question of anarchism, like let's say, for example, you had a revolution, 
and then you're trying to discern which hierarchies are just and unjust, well, I think we can all understand that nobody is going to be unanimous about what hierarchies are just and unjust. And then what would you do with the people that don't disagree, uh, that disagree with, um, with uh, your interpretation of what is a just or unjust hierarchy? Well, that's democracy, right? I mean, if they lose and the majority disagree with them, then they just better fucking live with it. If they want to, like, pitch a revolution because they don't like policies that have been implemented, then, I mean, I don't, like, what if they start, like, shooting up a square, I guess they can get shot, too? I, I don't know. That's democracy. You don't always get what you want. Well, yeah, I agree, but there has to be some point to where we, you know, say, well, something like child labor, I mean, if the majority, this is why I have a, a problem with uh, direct democracy is because if the majority of people vote on something that is inherently destructive, but because they vote on it and because they want it, um, they're going to represent themselves in a form of mob rule. But that's, there are ways to implement direct democracy without it just being mob rule. I mean, you can still have a constitution with superseding rules uh, that, that d dictate like terms of governance and what have you. I don't like, like, you, you realize you're giving me anti-democracy arguments, right? Not just like anti-direct anti, democracy. Anti-direct uh, democracy. Yeah, but like the proletariat, we need a vanguard party. The peasants aren't smart enough. The proletariat can't lead themselves. If you just let them decide what they're going to do, it's going to be mob rule. Like, you realize these are, like, I could hear these takes from a monarchist, right? Like, Well, the peasants were actually, well, I'm talking about historically. Like, back then, the peasants were actually antagonistic to the proletariat. The peasants were the proletariat. No. Peasant is a different class. They're not proletariat. Okay. There is no there is no such meaningful distinction between peasant and proletariat that I think they have a fundamentally fundamentally different class relation. They are both people who fundamentally must sell their labor, who do not own capital in order to survive. Like No. Um I mean sell their labor in order to survive well peasants peasants actually well i would argue that there is a distinction in class because there was no market for the subsistence of the labor class aka wage labor and you know all these other economic categorical differences like peasants were absolutely not proletariat it's like you wait, know there wait, was wait, no wait. wage so labor so wait there's bourgeois, and this is what I know, bourgeois proletariat. Bourgeois own the means of production. The proletariat must sell their labor to those who own the means of production. The peasantry did this, yes? There's probably a distinction, broadly speaking, and I'm willing to recognize that distinction. But when I well, say, like, when, when, I, when I say, like, you know, you think the peasantry are too stupid to do their own, like, d democracy work, and you're like, well, they actually hated the proletariat. Like, I, I don't know what the relation is here. Um, I'm sure that farm workers were antagonistic broadly towards the industrialization in, in the working world. I don't know what that has to do with, like, their ability to be democratic, though. Well, would you, would you agree that um, petite bourgeois people are uh, uh, more oftentimes than not opposed to proletarian people? Petite, I mean, yeah, like small business owners, like generally, yeah. yeah, they tend to operate in their own material interests, which are usually similar to that of the broader bourgeois, but not always. Yeah, well, it's the same, it's the same thing, really. Like the, the peasants were in opposition to the proletariat. But why were the pe were the peasants like the petite bourgeois? Um, some peasants could actually be considered petite bourgeois, like kulaks. They, they like you Google kulak, it says they're a peasant, but they're not a peasant. Like classical, like categorically, they're not a peasant. They're why are they petite not bourgeois. a peasant? 
because they own means of production and hire wage labor and uh they extract surplus value which would but, make them fatigue but then but then their surplus value was extracted by the soviet state right like kulaks had to like they they didn't just like well own that's their just own taxes stuff. Yeah, but there's a pretty big difference between just taxes and the state is going to take basically everything you can give them. Also, you have to meet production quotas or you're in trouble. Like, there's Well, a... the state didn't take everything they had. Like, private, uh, well, I don't want to say privately owned, but cooperatives that had a constitutional right to their own uh, capital, they kept surplus. So basically how, how the system works is you work, you pay your workers, you, you pay your machinery, and then you have what's left over. Now... Parts of this is going to go to yourselves and to the state, and that's how it operated in the USSR, and that's exactly what Marx was talking about. That's exactly what how a, a socialist society would work. Yeah, I mean, I'm not opposed to taxes at all, but the kulaks were as subservient to the state as like any other um, any other entity. Like that's why what happened to them happened to them, because like. It wasn't well, they, like they, they thumb... were subservient to the state. They actually defined the state. Well, yeah, but like defiance can only terrorism. take well, wait. Defiance can only take place in the context of subservience. Otherwise, there's nothing to be defiant to. Um, like, well, that's it... just kind of a word, mince, But yeah, but like, like they didn't thumb their noses at Stalin, and Stalin like shrugged, like, ah, fuck, guess we can't rely on that anymore. Like, uh, millions died, and people were prevented from leaving the famine-touched areas. Like. But yeah, Kulaks actually, Kulaks actually opposed Stalin. So yeah, I, I mean, everybody I mean, should oppose under... Stalin. Stalin was horrible. He's probably. No. <laughs> I really? would disagree that everyone opposed Stalin. No, no, yeah, everyone would... should have opposed Stalin. No, no, oh, not okay. everyone yeah. did. Yeah, everyone should have. Yeah, he was. Well, a that's that's horrible... that's your prerogative, but no, in no. The, in the context Do of the disagree? USSR, even Do I disagree that Lenin didn't okay, want yeah. Stalin in. Like, even Lenin said, this guy's fucking dangerous. He's a fucking lunatic. Don't let this guy get in charge. He had to kill his opponent in order to get that position. He chased him out of the USSR. And well, then Lenin, him. Well, well, Stalin was actually, Stalin actually democratically won over Trotsky's program. I mean, if you want the citation, Ad I can Adolf give it Hitler, to you. Adolf Hitler won and then was legally appointed no, chancellor. No, he was appointed. Yeah, he yeah. didn't win a democratic election. He, no. He was he, appointed. He won, he got, okay, he got like 30% of the vote prior and then he was appointed these were legal processes the, the legality yeah, but he made himself a dictator illegally by changing the constitution and and is it i'm sorry is it legal to murder your opponent trotsky well the, well the murdering happened a lot longer but yeah, even because before he chased that... trotsky no he chased trotsky out there was a there was a there was a Oh my god. I'm sorry. Wait, I haven't read on. up on my Wait, I'm sorry. I haven't read up on my Stalin shit for a while. The idea that Stalin succeeding Lenin was a was an act of democracy is ludicrous. Do you Stalin, want a citation? You can send me a citation if you want. I'm sorry. Was this party democracy or was this real democracy? <laughs> well, the real the word real kind of begs a question because Yeah, it does. yeah, yeah, cuz I don't think system... I don't think a society that only lets 10% of its party elites vote is actually a democratic society. Well, who do you think put? Who do you think got those people in power in the first place? Was what? it the state? Was it the you're the describing of the state? You're defending an oligarchy. You're saying because Stalin was a strong man who was able to get party officials in power that their voting for him was legitimate. You're literally defending an oligarchy right now. You realize that, right? Well, 
I, I mean, I'd like you to answer. Well, okay, I'm defending an oligarchy. Well, I wouldn't actually call it an honor. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. You cannot. Po You're right. It was. It's worse than an oligarchy. It's worse no, because it's Stalin because Stalin killed other oligarchs. He would disappear people in the middle of the night if he didn't like where they were going. Stalin he, was a paranoid man. He would literally like wake up in a fever and then have people disappear because he had dreams that they were going to backstab him. Well, the I think the entire Central Committee had good reason to be paranoid, but. I mean, I can send you stuff about that, but so really, you you're defending totalitarianism. How can well, you? These are all just. Why these would you? All just empty why would you words. lie to me? These are 100 democracy empty is an empty word. I'm sorry. The last time I heard that was from an alt writer. The last time I heard that was from an alt writer. Yeah, the last time I heard that was from an alt writer. Okay, I'm an alt writer. Congratulations. Why are you lying? Wait, look. why? Hold on. Look, 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 Vosh. You, the thing that you do on your streams is you go about and you say words like totalitarianism and authoritarianism, but you These never are words define with them. Like, let's no, define wait, them. wait, I'm sorry. Do you think, wait, I'm sorry. Do you think that if I Google the definition of the term totalitarian, it's not going to describe Stalinist Russia? Well, give me a definition. Let's just Google it because I, f oh, sure. Okay. Totalitarian. I mean, I... I'm you sure you realize what you're doing right word. now. I have literally had this conversation word for word with Nazis. Like, you think Hitler was a totalitarian? There were dissenting parties within his mixed. You can't possibly say Hitler was actually well-loved by his people. I have heard all of these arguments before from neo-Nazis. The fact that you would stoop this low well, to defend a, a, to defend theory, a failed... That would only be the case if you were actually a leftist, my friend. The fact that I have heard all these arguments from Nazis and their effort to defend their failed state as you try to defend yours is fucking insane to me. Why would you ever do this? Like, do you really think you're representing the will of the people, the interests of the proletariat? Well, you're defending fucking Stalin? It's always, it's, 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 uh, okay. A system of government that is centralized, so that's a bing right there, and dictatorial, that's a bing right there, and requires complete subservience to the state. That's a bing right there. If you were a dissident to the state, you were fucking disappeared. There. Well, how do you, def okay, let's define dictatorial. So dictatorial is usually Are you going to semantics your way out of acknowledging I'm those? Not. Do you think... I would argue that the CNTFIA was a dictatorship. They had bureaucrats. They had a labor bureaucrat. What are you referring to? The CNTFIA. I have, I have autism. You're going to have to give me the full name of the thing and not just the acronym. I can't. Well, I it. actually have ASD as well, so in case I, you're being unironic. I'm, I'm, I am being unironic, and I'm unironically asking you to give me the full name for the thing you're describing. Okay, so from one ASPE to another, it's, it's the... Oh, fuck. It's Anarchist Catalonia. Yeah, okay, I'm not here to defend anarchist Catalonia. So what I don't do defend you have previous any states. previous society that has ever existed. Irrelevant in the to what we're talking about right now. Why the fuck are you defending Stalin? Because it's an idea that only exists in your head and I can't I argue no, with market ideas socialism? That only exist in your head. Market socialism is what no, I advocate your ideology. for. Stream. What ideology? Your ideology. It what? only exists in your head, therefore it's market ad hoc. socialism? No. Anarchism plus market socialism. I don't wait wait. I don't advocate for anarcho-syndicalism on stream because I don't think it's pragmatic for us to advocate for societies we're centuries away from achieving. I advocate for the next step with the ultimate goal eventually of seeing where we move from there. But if we move to a market socialist society and then it's found out that maybe the fundamental economic presuppositions of anarchism aren't that tenable, I don't care. I'm not married to those positions. I'm willing to jump ship and find something that works better. My main concern is the next workable thing. How exactly are we making the world better for or, uh, proletarians well, I can, I can tell you what I would like to do pragmatically. Like, as if I was, you know, governing the United States. 
uh, would you uh, um, would you uh, run would you like get a bunch of people in power and then run like contested against like another person and then have them murdered and then assume total power like what's 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 your guide i guess well that's a bit of a loaded statement because trotsky wasn't murdered until well after that he, he was chased out of the soviet union as yes, stalin assumed okay, power all right, all right let's just out get of, away from... wait, wait wait why that's so dishonest why would you say what? that he was chased because... out above threat of death just because the death happened after doesn't mean that the threat of death didn't exist prior yes trotsky was a good boy he didn't do nothing it, i'm sorry excuse did you just didn't do nothing me did I? Did you just pivot off acknowledging a point by trying to suggest that the person who was murdered was legitimate? What the fuck are you talking about? You're oh, the yeah. reason. You're the reason why I can't... Stalin never should have been put in power. He was a lunatic, and Lenin knew it. He was just strong and charismatic. That's the only reason he was kept around. So, do you agree that treason should lead to death? What do you mean treason? He ran against Trotsky. What treason did Trotsky commit by running well, this against was Stalin? After. Your point was after is he was Stalin chased was... out by threat of death. <sighs> Your point was, Vosh, is that Stalin was treason. Uh, I can't believe I'm listening quit, to a leftist on, right now. You keep interrupting me. You keep interrupting me. You just compared Hitler to Stalin. Hitler appointed himself and then changed the German constitution to make himself. No, I a compared dictator. your defense of uh, Stalin to other alt writers' defense of Hitler. Okay, we'll do that all day. I don't care. I'm not a. I know you don't. I mean, you don't frankly, give a fuck about any. You don't read. give a fuck about the proletariat, dude. You like reading your theory, <sighs> imagining yourself smarter to the average person, and jerking off to the fantasy that you may one day lead the vanguard party. Don't you fucking scoff at me. I know exactly what your type is like. You're the fucking petite authoritarian. You're the one who wishes, who believes that if you were born in a different class station, you could have been the one to lead the idiots behind you, to lead the banner into battle. Okay, but in reality, you and me are no different from the average person. We're. A little bit more well-read, but we are just as stupid and self-interested as every person watching this and every person right now on an oil rig or working at a fucking uh, 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 barista job at Starbucks. We are not above them. We are them. And I would not want to be part of any leftist revolution that precludes their will for our fucking enlightened sensibilities. Who do you think gives the Vanguard party in the first uh, power in the first place? Do you think the Vanguard by like, do you think the Vanguard manifests themselves by virtue of being the Vanguard? with like weapons out of thin air what do you mean like hitler, given, H hitler wrote the back of popular support power. too i don't know this is this is a non sequitur well, hitler is, also wrote the back of popular just, support what's that what's that law of the internet that all conversations will lead to hitler i mean, i I, like, I actually can't believe how willing you are to divert back to bad faith why was the first 50 minutes of this discussion so like such an attempt at good faith when you um when you were hiding all of this from me like why well, because when i'm talking about an ideology i like to give an example it, it's not perfect nothing is ever perfect i don't even like it i wouldn't even want to live there because frankly i would probably get thrown but i think that it's something that we should do you agree that it's something we should look at and say they did this they did that they did that wrong let's go on from here do you agree i well yeah of course but they did so many things wrong i don't okay. think there's any meaningful benefit in addressing this and this has nothing to do with your authority. yeah that's why i didn't want to but you said i was being dishonest by trying to pivot away from the, it. i would not be feel comfortable being a part of any revolution alongside people who unironically defend stalin anybody who believes defending stalin has anything to do with the interests of socialism well, that's kind of infantile is, is antithetical i know yeah you got your little insult from lenin i know it but you felt really cool saying that no the there's nothing infant <laughs> there's nothing infantile i know why the only people who use infant 
percentile is an insult are tankies because they've read fucking Lenin, okay? You cannot, you cannot step past Lenin me on that. You think Lenin was a tankie? I said you're the tankies. Tankies like to Do you like think Leftcoms are tankies? What the left fuck comms does that have like to do? Leftcoms like Bordiga. Leftcoms like, bo because you just said you read Why, do you, why are you pivoting? Why are like you pivoting right now? This has nothing Bordiga to do with like, what I was saying. Like Wait, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Are you denying that there is a relationship between your decision to use the term infantile and Lenin's writings on the, the uh, left communism and infantile disorder? No, of course disorder? not. Okay, then why the fuck are you going off on that? It has no relevance because whatsoever to the discussion. You just said, you know how I know you're tanky because you use the word infantile and uh that comes from lenin so what that correlation implies is that by being a tanky you read lenin no the correlation being that people who think they're smart because they read theory have a tendency to ape lenin's language without understanding his arguments now listen i cannot believe that there is any way future for socialism should it be led by people who believe it is defensible to argue in favor of stalin's legitimacy as the leader well, stalin is dead now i mean I think this is irrelevant why stalin. do you keep pivoting you read a lot because you're probably you just... more well read on this stuff than i am but i hope and i'm i'm really not trying to come off conceited here but i hope this conversation shows you or is a reminder to you that there is a fuckload more to socialism praxis and actual advocacy than silently reading books and imagining yourself better than the people who marx was describing as the peasantry or who lenin was describing as the lumpen proletariat okay that so would be how do you think how do you think request. marx came to his ideology did he just uh, what do you think Marx did? Did he read books or did he just... What do you what? mean? Well, you just said, well, all you do is read or sit around in silence and read books. I, what I don't, do you think I don't know what you. Did? I don't know what you do. Marx spent years in the British Museum writing Capital. Wait, Should do you think I'm opposed to writing? What, what do you mean? Well, you, well, you're criticizing me for... You, you think I'm like a left chair ANCOM, right? No, I think or, you're um, a fucking like a Stalinist. Arm, armchair. I think, I think you're an authoritarian. I think you wish you were born into a position where you could be the one to lead. That you would have to be the one to make the pragmatic decisions about which businesses you would crush, which fields you would burn, which people you would send to Siberia. I think you imagine that if you had been in Stalin's position, you would have done a better job. I know what people like you think like because I used to think like you, and I've argued with plenty well, of Nazis who think like you too. I wouldn't want to be in like this position, first of all, because I wouldn't have the actual qualifications. You said wanna, you, like, you had to you choke that one out, didn't you? No, do no, you no. Do keep... Do you want to keep screaming about Stalin, or do you want to get back to well, what we, we were discussing? We're already 15 minutes over the actual time that I was meant to end stream. Oh, 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 duh, yeah, okay. okay. So anyway, uh, I want to give a shout-out to my YouTube channel, Leftism Today. Uh, it's a nice little YouTube channel. I upload stuff. Um, it's part of the Learn Marks OC uh, branch. And uh, do you have any questions for me, Vosh? I just... Do you understand how an average person who is watching this could come away thinking you're a fucking lunatic and that we should never have anything to do with socialism? This is why when I talk about socialism, I try to frame it through terms. This is why Bernie Sanders talks about socialism. He tries to frame it through terms that are relative to the interests of the proletariat. Kind of like what Lenin said, that it is important, lest you become a windbag as, as infantile as the left communists to meet the proletariat at their level of radicalization, it is important to phrase pragmatic efforts in ways that relate to the interests of the average person. But do you understand how like what you've said, like you would come off as like a lunatic to the average person? Um, if they haven't really done a lot of investigation, sure. I mean, I don't what like do Stalin. What does I don't want to live in the USSR. I don't, I don't like him personally. I don't worship him. I'm not a tanky, but I just think that there were things that Stalin did, like industrialize the USSR the quickest in the entire world. 
make the USSR have Hello, the second largest GDP per capita? Like, you have this a video is why on I me. learn about this stuff. You have a video on me called Vosh is Wrong About Immigration. Yeah, I, I do that. I do that. I do that. I, hey. I cited Vorhas. I don't really know. Hey, that's cool. I do that too. Hey, well, I'll, maybe clickbait. maybe I'll take a look at your video sometime. We can uh, we can see uh, where our uh, where our disagreements on uh, um, uh, immigration are because I have some very policy and yeah, fact based. Um, go ahead, like in terms of the immigration argument, I literally just cited Vorhas, and I'll be like one hundred percent honest. I haven't even looked into it that much, so if you want to prove me wrong, then one hundred percent, absolutely, go ahead. All right. Yeah. Okay. I respect that open invitation for critique. All right. I love you. Anyway, buddy. thank you very much. Thank uh, you. I appreciate I you appreciate coming it. on. My have ears yourself... loved it. Have yourself a good one, okay? <laughs> you too, man. Oh, God. <laughs>